at Sif Pop. We're your movie friends. But are friends really friends? If you don't know them, so grab a popcorn and head over to our row so we can chat movies like friends do. There's always room for more movie friends. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the writer's room. Hello and welcome to Sip Pop Writer's Room. I'm your host, Aaron, but not that Aaron, of course. And this week, I'm joined by Sip Pop Writer Joe. Hey, everybody. We write for SipPop.com. We move reviews, best ever challenges, and lots of other interesting movie-related articles. Make sure to check out SipPop.com to keep up with all that. But on this week's podcast, we're going to talk about a couple movies coming out this week for our coming attraction. We'll move on after that to talk about a uh, comic book film that was... like these. This is the weird. These aren't on my watch list, necessarily. Um, but uh, just comic book films that we haven't talked about yet. Um, and we picked the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen for this week. Um, I'm not sure why, but we did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure why either, but uh, yeah, let's go. Yeah, and uh, especially man, after Ghost Rider last month, like you know, it's, we just really wanted. I guess we just really wanted to feel some pain. It's been a while since we've, you know, we've mostly had good stuff, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. But we'll uh, we'll do a fantasy cast for our B plot this week to to try to do League of Extraordinary Gentlemen right, uh, and we'll wrap up with a spinoff. But first, let's get a chance to uh, talk with Joe for a little bit. Um, Joe, I'm curious. You said you haven't seen this week's most recent episode of The Last of Us, and I just finished watching it before we started this, so um, I don't want to spoil anything for anybody. Uh, but what are your thoughts? We are the finale airs on Sunday as we're recording this, right? So it's less than a week from the time that we're recording this and the time this airs. So we're getting there. What are you, what are your thoughts on the show in a very non-spoilery way? I think being a ginormous fan of the game and beating it multiple times, just like, cause I love survival horror games. Um, I think they're, they're doing the game, you know, a great service um, without giving anything away. I think they punched up more emotional moments. They made changes so far that have been for the better, in my opinion. Um, for some characterization and some plot. Um, but the things they do do like do that are from the game are one-to-one and like the best ways possible. Um, it's super well shot. It feels gritty. Um, and definitely the, if you've played the game, the opening, um, the opening to the first episode will definitely punch you in the gut the same way. They definitely did that effectively and uh, translate that well. Yeah. I, I, I think, I think it was IGN. They have it at um, what I think the low score is a nine on each episode. I think I have to agree. Like everything's either like a nine, a nine five. Uh, with uh, I think episode three, I think they got it right. It's like a ten. Um, I would definitely agree with that. That felt very cinematic. It felt like a film, but I won't. Like I said, I won't go into too many plot details or anything like that. But yeah, it's it's a terrific show. Like I'm really really impressed. Sure. I um, was having a conversation with somebody um, earlier today, somebody I work with, uh, because I told him I think the game is overrated. Um, I think it's good. Um, but I, I don't know. I came to it late. Right. And, and like, I love, like it's for one thing, I came to it late for another thing. Like, I think it's a good game, right? I'm not, I don't think it's bad. I think it's just an eight out of 10 instead of a 10 out of 10, you know? And so I was, uh, I was talking with him and he's like, no, he's like, no, like, it's so good. Name a better game. And I said, I think Red Dead Redemption two is a better game. He's like, what really? No. And I said, I think, uh, uh, Grand Theft Auto four is my favorite Grand Theft Auto. That's a better game than, uh, than last of us. And then I tried to think out of the realm of open world, but I still got, uh, I think any of the games in the Batman Arkham franchise are better than, um, than that. So, um, I'm looking, it looks like I have a lot of open world games. I'm looking at my, um, my GG account right now. That's like letterbox for video games. 
like and things that I've rated higher. Eventually came with him and I said, I think the PS4 Spider-Man game is better than The Last of Us. Uh, I, I, I don't know, but it, uh, the PS4 Spider-Man game is really good. It's awesome. It's super good. Yeah, it's an amazing um, game. I'm looking games I have rated five stars on my G, on my GG account. Um, so I guess this, these would be better than The Last of Us. Um, the Evil Within 2, I think, is freaking stellar. Um, all three of the Bioshock games. Yeah, I would put all three of the Bioshock games above The Last of Us. That sounds fair to me. Um, let's see. A um, bunch of Guitar Hero stuff. <laughs> um, let's see. Oh, um, like the first Halo game and Halo Reach are the only two that I have a five star for. Um, I Absolutely. I would say the first Halo is a better game than The Last of Us. Fight me. Um, and uh, Resident Evil 2 remake, man. That one is that one is so, so high up, so goaded for me. And I also have Simpsons Hit and Run thrown in there. So. <laughs> uh i i'll look i'll defend i'll defend all those stances i think those games are the highest possible achievement star uh, Star wars code or two also on that list um yeah like it doesn't get better than that so like look all that to say i think the game is overrated i think the game is really good i think this show is bringing me bringing something better than the game is bringing um i tweeted it out last week because like i said i'm finally ready to admit it I'm finally, or I've thought this way for a while, probably since episode three. I'm finally ready to tweet it. So I did. The Last of Us series is better than the Last of Us game, and I haven't played part two yet. I'm going to. Um, I'm going to get to the last, uh, replaying the Last of Us and playing the Last of Us part two for the first time. But I just there, there is something so special in the game about playing as only Joel and only experiencing the world through Joel and a very small bit of Ellie um, about their experience of this world there's something to be said about that but there's something so special about this world that we've created that doesn't rely on joel and ellie being in every scene or frankly even every episode um like i think there's an episode very early on in the show that tells the story of two characters who appear for like half a cutscene in the game and it's fleshed to this full hour 15 minute long storyline and it's one of the best episodes this season it's so good yeah, it's it's amazing. Like, and a lot of people complain because it's kind of a bottle episode. But like, the show is called The Last of Us. It's about survivors. It's 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 mostly about Joel and Ellie and, and about their relationship and what they can bring to the world. But like, I I for a show, I really just don't want to see only Joel and Ellie's experience. I show the show can broaden the horizons, and I think because the show is coming out ten years after the game, they're able to to improve on some things that the game you know, did just didn't think of. And it's okay. For instance, um, there's a character in the show that um, is deaf, that is not deaf in the game. And I think it's mm-hmm. a really special feature that they did that. And not, not, ne- not just for um, like awareness and, exclu- and inclusivity and accessibility and all that. Right. But it works really well with the nature of this story. So um, with the nature of these characters. So um I, I just I love how the show has been expanded upon for the game. If if anything, actually, I wish the show would do more like that. I wish that um, I wish that we would see maybe even less of Joel and Ellie, but like for a longer period of time. This first season's only nine episodes. I would not mind seeing 13 or 14 episodes, but but like the same amount of Joel and Ellie that we see in these nine episodes. So and that might be a hot take. And I don't care um, because because this show has done such a great job. I mean, there's a moment in the pilot episode where we don't get to see the outbreak happen in the game. Right. We get to see the outbreak happen from Joel's perspective, but we don't actually really get to see the start of it. And there's a moment 
in the show. First of all, the the opening sequence is one of the best things I've ever seen. And then there's a moment later where we kind of see, oh, this is really the point that the outbreak is is uncontrollable. And it's it's remarkable. You could have had an entire episode on on that character and I would have been a okay. So I've rambled on for a while. Uh, are you are you going to disagree with anything I've said? Well, well I, I'm just going to take up like, um, I think it's just as good as the game is. And that's coming from a place of like me loving this game. Like narratively, it struck a chord with me. Uh, the, the opening of the game is a, is a punch in the chest right away. And it's like uh, big highs and big lows throughout the entirety of the game. Um, yeah, a lot of ebbs and flows. And I feel like the, the show is doing a great job of doing that. But I do agree that they are expanding upon some things. Like you said, there's an episode early on. It's it's magnificent. It could just be if it doesn't get nominated and win an Emmy, it's it's going to be it's going to be ridiculous. Sure. Uh, <laughs> and I but, would uh, say the same for the other bottle episode, the um, the most recent one that that is it is is a yeah, it's kind of a <sighs> it's not really a it's, it's actually that's actually it's not one. It's almost one for one what the DLC is. It is. Yeah, right. But I'm, so. but I'm trying to say it's like it's it's not focused on Joel and Ellie. Um, like their journey together, but it, it, it is like it's not a spinoff. It's I'm trying. I'm trying to stay stay vague so somebody could that could just be watching through just can experience anything. But um, but yeah, I I think that the show like the, the to me the bottle episodes have been the best episodes so far. I think uh, I think three and seven have been the best episodes of the show. Maybe the pilot. Maybe the pilot. Crap. All right, hold on. I take that back. Actually, because I was just having this conversation. I think episode five is my favorite so far. Yeah, episodes five is my favorite so far. See, this is one of those things, kind of like you're saying, IGN is rating at least nine out of ten for all these. Like, they all are like at least a nine out of ten. Most of them are ten out of ten. Um, I think so there's, there, there's something for everybody within each one of these episodes. There really is, and like I, I'm not watching this with my wife because I asked her like if she wanted to watch it. She was like, "I'll be interested in in it," but like I, I got a group of guys that I meet with every Monday night, and we they they were more excited to watch it. So, and she's like, "Well, I'm not really a fan of like." gory or you know jump scary kind of things anyway so why don't you just watch it with them and if you think i'll like it then we can watch it later and i like having the hardest time to decide whether she's gonna actually like it because i think she's gonna like parts not necessarily like the whole um but like this show is so man like there's i don't think there's been a single jump scare the entire show so far like and so like i think that's mostly the stuff that she doesn't like i think some of the jump scares and like stuff comes from um i mean they have that famous scene in the um the museum it's kind of yeah. jump scary in there but like it's good atmosphere it fits that sequence in the game really well it's good it's good it's the right way to do fan service um to kind of like replicate that moment almost one for one well and there's uh, like what like maybe an action sequence each episode yeah except for except for episodes yeah they're well shot like especially when they're filmed behind the back it really reminds me of the game because it feels like a third person shooter especially when he was taking cover when they were being attacked yeah Um, i won't go into detail who was attacking him but like when they're being attacked at some point in time yeah yeah, it, it feels very much like the game well and i just i just really like how all right so Kind of my problem with the first with the game is like it's got a great story, but it's kind of just another third person post apocalyptic shooter, like in terms of like lots of things. It's got a good story, but nothing, nothing that blew me away like, you know, Red Dead Redemption 2 did nothing, nothing that demanded that I sit down and like stay up until five in the morning because I have to finish this game. You know, Um, nothing, nothing that like did anything like that for me, nothing that completely gripped me that made me 
you know, certified goat this game or whatever. And maybe I will on a replay. I don't know. Maybe I was just too mature. Maybe, maybe like the Xbox fanboy in me was just like, you can't like this PlayStation exclusive, you know, um, you know, you can't, you can't let them have this one. So, um, uh, maybe, I don't know. Uh, it, it's, it's possible. So I'm really excited to, to replay, um, replay the first one i'm really excited to check out part two and uh and then the the re the part one remake as well um haven't decided which what what order i'm gonna do them but either way i um I, either like it's like i said i just kind of thought like it's just kind of another third person shooter with really great cutscenes, you know like uh so um anyway um, I think I've said my piece and I'm just only going to make people more red with fury as we go on. But like, I just, I'm fully willing to commit. I think the show is better than the game by leaps and bounds, actually. Um, because I, I appreciate the show's willingness to be like, we're going to spend time away from Joel and Ellie. And I wish, I wish the show did that more. I'd be really interested to see. Let me ask you a question. Um, it's, it's already been renewed for season two. Um, do you think that season two is going to be the last of us part two, or they're going to tell like original stories? I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's good. It's, I don't know how people will, if they, for people, I don't want to ruin anything for people who play the game. You know, it's, it's, it's people are going to love it or they're going to hate it. They're, you know, their, their take on what goes on. So yeah, maybe they, maybe they diverge from the, from the second game and do, you know, do some, like I said, do some original stories. And uh, I think I think The Last of Us Part Two is happening at some point, but like, why? It may be too soon, though. You know what I mean? Sure. Well, and I was listening. I've been listening to the HBO Companion podcast that they've been putting on when it has um, Troy Baker, the voice of Joel from the game, and the the showrunner um, Craig Mazin, and the showrunner who was also the game director Neil Druckmann, and it's them three talking each week, and uh, it's awesome. But it's it's Neil Druckmann has said like, yeah, we've had ideas for Last of Us Part Three, but we're not going to make the last of us part three unless we have that idea that really excites us. And, um, and so like they're open to the idea. So I'm just like, so why would you like, why, why would you make the last of us part two? And then just be like, well, we're going to wait until we want to make another. Like, I think there's plenty of good stories they can tell that focus on Joel and Ellie as individuals and as a group, as a collective, there's plenty of because because correct correct me if I'm wrong again I haven't played part two there's like a four to six year time jump between one and two right I think there is a huge jump like I said I I know details of two I have a copy of two I haven't played it yet I, uh, I know <laughs> I know how it starts too I know I know the basic setup and I so I know how that how all that goes too but and and you're right I think especially if it were to just kind of happen I I I think it is the wrong move to make season two the Last of Us part two I think I think we will have a a lot of viewers will just turn off the show after the season two premiere. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm, I'm like, I said, I'm pretty certain they're not going to go that route. And if it does happen, it's going to be down the line when you, know. yeah, I, I think they are absolutely going to go that route. I think it's just season three or four is going to be it, but then also it gives them time to plot out more. Maybe there's a last of us part three, you know, by the time they adapt part two and then they, uh, they could do more bridge gap, whatever you know, I'm, I'm, I'm more so meant to ask. Cause I'm curious because I think it is fundamentally the wrong idea for them to just go into part two. I think there's plenty of stories we can tell and there's plenty of stories that I want to see. Um, like, well, well, plus like even with this first season, I don't know if they're going to meet the conclusion of the game. It doesn't feel like it. Mm. So, I mean, we'll see Like I said, I'll have to watch the next episode to see how far they got in that episode. But like, it to me, and, and it's been a while since I played the game. 
but to me it feels like we're there we're getting there um, yeah okay i think i I, th- I wouldn't be surprised if the final is going to be a two-hour episode though or a 90-minute episode yeah that, that wouldn't surprise me um but i man i I, I I think that they're going to finish up. They they at least have to get to the moment from from the first game. Like, but I feel like that's not the right place to end it. So I feel like it's going to cover. I think they're going to cover where the and get to where the first game ends. But um, but yeah, I just I think that there's there's plenty of stories they can tell, and as long as they're telling stories this good, there's no reason for them to continue. I actually would be really interested in what if. What if season one, again, nine episodes ended in um, it's Kansas City in the show, but it's Pittsburgh in the game like that feels like a good place. They could have ended season one as well. Right. Um, Obviously not as sudden as as the episode ends. But like, I think I think there's there's something to be said about if we really want to stretch out the show, if we really want to get to know these these characters and do more world building and do more diving into this. And then you have, you know, season two be you know, what we've seen is the second half of this season. Um, you know, I, like, I think, I think if anything, the show is moving too fast and I, like, I'm, I'm not saying it is, I'm saying I am just here to live in this world. I think they've done a great job and I would really like to see them build on it as opposed to just, you know, and, and I get, I also get why they made part one the way they did, because I feel like it's a video game adaptation. There's always the fear that it's going to be, you know, received poorly by video game fans and then nobody and nobody's going to be watching it. So, you know, why would you commit to only making half of part one and then the fans are going to get mad that not enough people watch for them to renew part two, but it's just like or to or to, to to finish up season two or whatever or to, to make season two. So because it, it's an expensive show. So I um all that to say, like, I get why they did it. But like now that it is like ultra huge, mega, by far biggest thing HBO has done since Game of Thrones. Like maybe they maybe they ride that out and just tell some smaller scale stories for a little bit while kind of building towards a natural progression towards, you know, what it will eventually be. The Last of Us Part Two and put and then beyond, because I don't know anything about uh, about, you know, where Last of Us Two leaves us, except for like, I know I know how it begins and ends, (laughs) Um, you know, with certain characters um, new and old and all that. So um, anyway. I'm going to stop talking now. <laughs> uh, so I'm curious. And if, look, if you have thoughts on the show, I would love to hear like kind of if you're disagreeing with me or if you think, hey, I think you're onto something or, you know, you're wrong about the game, but you're right about the way the show should handle it. Or, you know, just what if you have any comments, just like, let me know, because I like I'm really wanting to talk about this with other people and not just be, um, you know. I'm, I'm I'm watching the episodes until later, but I think I think there's going to be a really interesting discourse between season one and two and and all that. And I think I'm 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 here for the conversations. I'm here for the interviews. And all that. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't think you're wrong with the game because that's I mean, th- at the end of the day, that's your opinion. And I'm, you know, everyone's going to have their opinion on whether or not the game is better or if the show is better, or like or vice versa. Um, for me, the game's the game's amazing. It's a ten out of ten for me because I, I feel strongly towards the main characters. I feel like their narrative. And their voice acting is so strong. Uh, the performance capture is amazing. Um, and I actually really do really like the gameplay. I love crafting items, like going about, sneaking around. Like those are the yeah. type of games that I like. So if yeah, it's, it's, it really it caters really to, well. yeah, it caters towards someone who likes Resident Evil franchise, anybody who's like deep, deeply engrossed in those games and they like play them over and over again. Like they're, they're going to, those are the, those are the people that are really drawn to it. 
I also um, saw something that was like I saw like a ten video games that like are better when you play them on the hardest difficulty, and I only played The Last of Us on like easier medium, you know? Because oh, it's hard. Yeah, I played on the hardest difficulty. Well, yeah, right. That's I'm, I can imagine, but like so much more relies on resource management, and so like you know it, it, the way the game is cre- created is you don't have to f- fight in every encounter you come across. You can use stealth and avoid and things like that. But it's like, I, I play video games for a narrative experience. Gameplay just happens to be part of it. So I'm, so I'm really interested in like unique gameplay. Um, you know, so something, so when things add something new to a mix, like, um, I don't know why this is the only example coming to my head right now, but like bullet storm, um, like when it has like the time whip and all those, like that is really interesting for me. Part of the reason why I love Bioshock so much, um, it's it's an excellent narrative experience, and it has those gameplay gameplay qualities that really make it stand out as something special. Um, so when I play games, especially like when they're not on my Xbox, because you know then I go for like trying to get as many achievements as I can. So I play on like medium for the first time. When I play it on PlayStation, I probably played it on if there's four different like second from the bottom, or like if it's mm-hmm. just easy, medium, hard. I probably played it on easy. So like I'm probably gonna play through it on a harder difficulty this time, especially if it has new game plus. Like, and I can just kind of carry over some things, but on a harder difficulty, we'll see. Um, so anyway, that could be part of it too, but like, maybe I'm just missing some of the gameplay elements because I play on easy because I'm a baby. Um, also, cause like I have so many games that are on my queue that like, I, um, like I, I, I need to not reload and get stuck at the same checkpoint for an hour, like to get through all my games, you know? Right. All right, I promise I'll shut up now. Any closing remarks? No, no worries. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. Like, I think I, I think I'm I'm okay with them having a few more like bottle episodes in the future. Like, and the thing is, like, with their bottle episodes, they're not like uh, they're not spinning their wheels. Like, they're adding to character development. They're adding to world building. Yes, there's like past things that come up that they've talked about. Like, uh, this is a minor spoiler, but like, there's a code in which they talk on the yeah. radio. And that comes up and it's really subtle and it's really cool. Like I like stuff like that. That's not in your face. You have to really like kind of pay attention. It's like a side conversation thing. Um, so I thought that was really cool. Um, and they just, they've hit all the emotional beats for me. Um, there hasn't been a time where I was like, well, I'm not really like feeling anything in this moment. Like there's always something that like, especially in the third episode, like uh, I think I cried like a baby. Like that was, <laughs> I don't think I've cried like that during a show in like a long time, like at least in the past year or so um yeah they did an excellent job with that episode but yeah like I, I i'm for it if they if they want to do kind of side mission bottle episode stuff i'm all for it as long as it doesn't get off the rails like walking dead uh which i don't think it will because the showrunners are amazing i think they're doing a great job they have a good track record uh, i thought chernobyl was mm-hmm. awesome and they were perfect for, for this yeah um, well and ultimately too as long as craig mazin and neil Druckmann are running the show like yeah. they're gonna they're gonna produce good quality content so um yeah and also just kind of to your point um about like doing the world building really well um which is something i've kind of already lauded um there is a complete character that is made up for the show that isn't in the game that is in the kansas city slash pittsburgh portion that it just feels so natural and so like it's gonna be weird going back and playing the game and not having that character because like it just adds so much. Um, it, it does. I, I totally agree. Like that, that added character really helped. It helps give a face. I, I don't want to say, well, it, it, it gives a face to like the common people. Yes. Not like, not like, you know, Fedra 
You know yes. what I mean? Like, it, you don't get the sense of like how dangerous and how kind of like how fascist uh, they really are, you know, in the game as much as you do in the show. Like show you're like, wow, they're pretty terrible. Yeah. Like some people are definitely taking advantage of, of their positions uh, and power and whatnot. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's one thing I will totally agree with. I think they, there's some things that they punch up and it really works. Yeah. Um, if you are watching the show and really liking it, uh, listener, um, I really recommend as soon as you're done with this podcast, go turn on HBO's official companion app, uh, companion podcast. Cause the insights that these people have into the show and the way they describe it. I mean, you can just feel their love for the IP, their love for the property and like the, the way that they make changes, like again, on the, um, on the way that they like describe making up the character for Kansas city, um, like they they go into such detail on why that's like such a brilliant move, and it's not them tuning their horn; they're just talking about it. And I'm like, this is this makes so much sense. And they're like, you know, we wrote this part for this person, and we really, really wanted to do it, wanted them to do it, and we wanted them to do it because this. And look at this, this, and this. Like, and it's like this, like this. They're doing all the things that I, I'm that in the moment felt like this is so perfect, and. uh and you can kind of realize why afterwards. And uh, and same thing for their choice in turning a character uh, into a deaf person. Um, so, sorry, person who is deaf. Anyway, so just really recommending the HBO Companion podcast again. Um, I think I talked about it recently, but it's um, it's just so good. And HBO did the same thing with Chernobyl and um, Watchmen, and I listen to all those. So also, if you really like those show, those Companion podcasts are awesome. So... I think every every show that has a companion podcast on HBO that I'm watching, I'm just going to start doing the companion podcast for too. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Joe, quick random question before we move on: What's your Starbucks order? What's my Starbucks order? Uh, I don't know if this is the best question for me because I, what I I'm really boring at Starbucks. I get like either iced coffee, uh, no sugar, black, or I get a cold brew. Same deal. Mm. So I'm super boring. I don't like to get the super sweet drinks. I like to save those calories for uh, eating food. <laughs> but uh, yeah, maybe a caramel frappe every now and then. That used to be my go-to. When when you're young, you could just eat anything or drink anything. Yeah, that probably was a go-to. I don't count calories and it shows. Um, so every time I go to Starbucks, which isn't terribly often because I think coffee is bad. At any time people are like, you know, um, like talk about, oh, like that's a good cup of coffee. I'm like, there's no such thing as a good cup of coffee. So um, there, there is. You just got to find it. It's a required thing. So I go to, uh, I get a Java chip from Starbucks. Um, it's, it's, it's blended coffee, um, chocolate and sugar and sugary things. It's not, it's not like an overly sweet drink. Like that's what I kind of like. Like a lot of times, like you, these coffee frappuccinos are like, it's mostly sugar with whatever, but like, I like how it still kind of has like a, a coffee root to it. So, yeah. um, <clears throat> Because I think coffee and chocolate is a great pairing. Um, it's perfect. It's like it's peanut so butter. Good. Yeah, it's like peanut That's butter. That's why it's chocolate. like I, I like the coffee flavor because it's blended because it's mixed with chocolate. So anyway, um, so yeah, I'm just full of people that are hating me today because first I hate on The Last of Us and then I hate <laughs> and now on you hate coffee. Yeah, uh, so. What do you do? What do you do with this guy? I don't know. Let's talk about some movies that are coming out this week then. <laughs> uh, Scream Six, Sixty Five, and Champions. Which one do you want to start with? Yeah. Um, uh, let's go and start with champions. Starting with champions, a former minor league basketball court basketball coach is ordered by the court to manage a team of players with intellectual disabilities. He soon realizes that despite his doubts together, this team can go further than they imagine. A new movie starring Woody Harrelson, Caitlin Olson from it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Um, 
uh, and other things as well. But, you know, that's kind of her most known role. Um, Ernie Hudson, Cheech Marin, a good amount of uh, um, people that are actually, you know, in in the community that this is trying to represent. So um, like to see that a lot. Champions um, in theaters, March 10th exclusively. Um, New Bobby Farrelly, Farrelly, Farrelly. I want to say fairly, but <laughs> I think it's Farley. Um, so new Bobby Farley movie, um, which hopefully you recognize that name because um, he is kind of a legend in the in the like comedy movie business. Um, oh, one half of the Farley brothers. Right. One half of the Farley brothers. So he's got credits on uh, Heartbreak Kid. I know people like that one. Um, Me, myself and Irene. Something about Mary. Dumb and Dumber. Kingpin. Uh, Dumb and Dumber. Classic. Yeah, Osmosis Jones, Shallow Hal, Fever Pitch. Yeah, like, pretty solid. Um, what do you think about this movie, uh, Champions? Uh, again, we're it, this is a theater exclusive, so all the things that are out of the... Uh, that would keep you from seeing this movie cannot keep you from seeing this movie. The only thing that can keep you from seeing this movie is your own free will. So would you try to check this one out in theaters? Uh, wait till you could rent it at home. Wait till it's on the streaming service you already pay for? Or are you just really not interested in seeing Champions? Um... I think, um, yeah, I'd say theater for this, but I think it'd be more of a kind of a matinee if I had to, had to judge it. Okay. Uh, it, it, it looks really fun. I love Woody Harrelson. I think he brings it every time, like every type of like movie or show he's in. Uh, he can do dramatic stuff. He can do funny stuff. He can do action. So um, for a gamut of things. Um, kind of exciting that Bob Farley's or Bobby, Bobby Farley's uh, directing this. Uh, I think he's really good within this genre of doing something that like, it kind of teeters on being uh, pretty absurd or like in poor taste, but like is able to like tug those heartstrings at the same time. Like I feel like they do a good job of doing that kind of that, that balancing act and like having a message um, in their films. So I don't know. It, it, it looks fun. It looks exciting. Sure. Um, I'm going to go just to the rent category of this one. Um, Cause that's a pretty excited about it, but not quite to the theaters. And um, the, the only reason is I think this movie looks hilarious and heartfelt and all that, but it looks like a movie I've seen 80 times. Um, like 80 different movies that I've seen, you know, um, th- this looks like your hardball, your mighty ducks, you know, like, uh, your, your very basic, um, you know, coach that is bad news bears, like, yeah, bad <laughs> news bears, right. The, yeah. The like the type for that type of movie, <laughs> you know, uh, washed up or like grumpy, let's say grumpier, um, you know, athlete or coach or whatever you like whatever grumpy older version that has a connection to the sport is sentenced to um to go back to do community service or for some reason you know to get involved in a minor league team and then turns them into champions and so i know how the movie's gonna end everything's gonna be all happy and he's gonna wind up getting an nba offer and uh and choosing to stay with the team that he's been like this always how it works i've seen this movie a bunch but there's a reason you see this movie a bunch because it works. I really like Hardball. Mighty Ducks is great. You know, it, it, when we think of all these other like sports stories are especially like Hollywood sports stories are usually really good. Um, like it's hard to think of like bad ones, and the bad ones are because they're not actually really focused on the sport. Like I think uh, I haven't seen it, but like I know Trouble with the Curve was one that people didn't really like that much. Never even heard uh, of that. <laughs> is a uh, Clint Eastwood, Amy Adams one from like 2013 or so. Uh, uh, I never heard of it. It's but it's it's because it's you know it's not a baseball movie. It's a father daughter movie. You know, written and directed by Clint Eastwood, um, or at least directed. I don't think he writes. Um, anyway, but like 
you know, Moneyball is one of the best movies of all time. And you, you know, remember the Titans and I really like glory road and coach Carter and, you know, uh, sports movies are in general really good. And, you know, especially this particular kind, I've just seen it before, but I've seen it before because it just works. And I will watch this one again because it always works and it will always make me laugh and it will always leave me with just a full heart. So, uh, but, but just because of that reason, like there's not really a reason for me to rush out to see this. So that's why I land in rent. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, I think that's it for me. Um, it looks like it takes place in Iowa. So the Iowa stallions, or maybe that's where he was coaching, whatever. Cool. Add it to the list of movies that take place in my state. Um, let's move on to 65. Um, new movie, uh, starring Adam driver from the writers of a quiet place. Uh, they're also directing Scott, Scott Beck and Brian Woods An astronaut crash lands on a mysterious planet over to only to discover he's not alone as mentioned, Adam driver, um, but only like a really small cast and people that I don't recognize. So, um, yeah. What do you think about this one? 65, same scale theaters, rent streamers, skip. Uh, I feel like it, it, it could be really neat. Um, the thing it kind of reminds me of, uh, us being video game you know, fans and like whatnot, it reminds me of Dino Crisis a lot, especially like later <laughs> entries, um, which could be either really cool if they like lean into it the right way or it could be really bad. But um, I had it at streaming. I'm kind of apprehensive about it. Like I don't, I don't typically, it almost kind of feels kind of like a disaster film a little bit as that kind of tinge to it. Like look like it could be directed by Roland Emmerich. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of give me that. Plus, I don't like, uh, I don't really like those films. The, uh, what is the, what is the prior films they worked on? Uh, oh, a, quiet, the, a quiet place. Quiet place? Yeah. A, a not so quiet place. Everybody's loud all the time <laughs> and, and making noise. Uh, yeah, that movie, I don't like those movies. So it doesn't really excite me that those two are on for writing and directing. So uh, the only thing that, that's a positive for me is Adam Driver. I mean, of course, he looks about the best part or aspect of this movie. The visual effects look pretty good too. Yeah, I'm going to land right in there with streaming for you for this one. This one is one that, like, I've seen a lot of people really excited to watch. And, like, I just don't get it, right? And, and like, m- maybe Moonfall just really burned me, right? Because Moonfall is <laughs> really so terrible. But, like... Deflated it's, the whole genre. <laughs> but, like, yeah, like, I was really excited about Moonfall when it came out. And, like, I think you're right. This looks like a Roland Emmerich-directed movie. Um, this reminds me a lot of... Uh, Cinematography, color palette, like, just, like, a whole yeah, lot of yeah. things. Uh, but it, it reminds me a lot of like uh, like like a movie that I've never seen, but kind of remember feeling this way about um, After Earth. Uh, yeah, which there's a reason I never saw. But <laughs> yeah, kind kind of has that same kind of energy. Where like, oh, there's like some things in here that look really interesting, but you know, especially but... M. Night Shyamalan's track record at the time. But uh, and then um, you know, there's there's plenty that here that it's. Uh, um like you're right visual effects look really cool i'm sure there's gonna be some really cool moments but like i is there a good dinosaur movie besides the original jurassic park oh, not in my book and, and the key word is you said the original jurassic park i don't like any of the other ones and like yeah and like i very varying scale of the other ones but like i wouldn't say any of the rest of them are good so like yeah, maybe like disney's dinosaur or like a few of the land before time movies like like the like the first maybe like four maybe <laughs> yeah Whatever. like like, and like I get it there haven't been a lot of dinosaur movies but like I don't know, maybe there have been and we just forgot about them because they're so bad um, even Pixar couldn't make a dinosaur interesting <laughs> so there you go um, so 
Yeah, like like you said, visual effects look really good, but yeah, it, it this looks just like another Roland Emmerich film, and that would have surprised, that would have excited me. Um, but like like Moonfall, when I thought it was just going to be, you know, the most fun experience I had in the theaters in 2022, and it was the most abysmal uh, experience I had in all of 2022. Um, you know, it's just uh, it, it's a it's a terrible movie, folks. Don't don't even waste your time. <laughs> so Spoiler. yeah. It, it, <laughs> I don't this and I look I like the Quiet Place movies but like they they were writers on it um they weren't directors I think I'm looking they've done a couple uh, of projects um but they're like straight to DVD stuff or or shorts so like I think probably the biggest thing is they did a movie called Haunt in 2019 um which I like recognize the poster but that's it um, so um yeah I just yeah cannot get excited about this one but Sure, when it when it pops up on Netflix or HBO or whatever I pay for already, that you know comes with it. If the reviews are generally favorable, I'll give it a shot. But more than likely, I don't know that I'll ever check this one out. Um, yeah, uh, that just leaves us with Scream Six coming out this weekend, also exclusively in theaters. Uh, next installment: Survivors of the Ghostface Killings leave Woodsboro behind and start afresh, a new chapter in New York City. Um, this is, uh, by the people that did the most recent one, um, scream, just, just scream. Um, I think it's the same director combo and writer combo, but like, I I don't remember the names of the people, um, could be wrong as producer. Let's see where we at. Um, new writer credits. Um, yeah. So at least, at least, um, James Vanderbilt was a writer on both, um, because that's why I thought I thought um, that the people, yeah, because it was the people that did Ready or Not um, did Scream, yeah. So, or at least one of the guys. I don't know. Um, so yeah, same people that did Scream did uh, did this one, and uh, starring. Uh, I'm not gonna go through the cast because that will, if you haven't seen Scream, um, that will spoil some characters that make it out of there, um, as well as other past installments. So I think that's fair, especially because the film came out. 13 months ago it came out the same month as moonfall man like uh it came out like mid-january and here we are start of march and it was one of those things like it got announced and when it got announced it was like next year by the way and like i'm, I'm just gonna go ahead on the scale i'm 100 in opening weekend because when when filmmakers make a film like scream which is which i think is great it was i think in my t- like six or seven of my favorite movies of the year when a film when filmmakers make a film like that that's just awesome and then they are like, as soon as they're done with that, they're like, Hey, I've got an idea where to take this next. Um, you know, and we're, and we can have it ready in a year. Yeah. Every single time I'm going to be excited about that. Now, if the first, if, if I didn't like scream five, then I wouldn't be excited about this one, but like, I really like scream five and you know, it's, it's yeah. So, um, what about you, Joe? Uh, theaters, rent, streamers, skip. Oh, I mean, I, I, I think I love every single one of the stream. I haven't seen the latest one, but I've enjoyed every single one of them to a degree. Some are better than others for sure, but I think they have a pretty good track record. Um, I think with the exception of what is it, three? I think three is pretty bad, but um, yeah, but um, but overall, like good standing with the franchise. Um, I love the original, the original is like one of my favorite horror films. It's great, kind of started off that kind of meta genre. Um, I love the cast in this. I have not, like I said, I have not seen five, but uh, for me, anticipation level is to be um, theaters, like if there's nothing to hold me back, and uh, um, yeah, I didn't have to take care of the kid that that day. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Definitely go ahead and go see it. Uh, it looks great. Yeah, I'm so desperately trying to fit it in my schedule this week, and I not 
not sure if I can, but uh, <laughs> we will we will certainly find out. This is uh, also love I'm, ready or not too. So that also got me really excited. That um, yeah, is, yeah. It, is it both the writers or is it? I think so. Yes. Okay. I could be wrong, <clears throat> um, but I think it's both directors as, uh, okay. as well. So I, I'd have to actually take a deep dive, but um, yeah, at least one of the writers for Ready or Not, which I th- I think it's the same combo. Anyway, um, yeah, and I agree. Like the franchise is mostly heavy hitters. I mean, Four's Four has aged really well, but it still has problems. And Three is the only one that I didn't rewatch leading up to Five. Um, and I. Um, I really like, I want to, I just haven't gotten around to it. Um, partly because like I have good memories of it and I just, I'm not sure I'm going to like it, you know, watching (laughs) it again. Uh, but like, I have fond memories of that one. It might not hold up as well in a, in a rewatch. You know, like you said, you don't want to diminish that. Yeah. 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 You want to tarnish that. So, but yeah, I, I loved last, last year's film and I'm really excited for this one, especially because like, I know there was a lot of people, all right, I'm not going to. I'm trying I'm trying better to like not spoil anything that I can about the movie. Like let's just say there's an evolution to this character that like excites me. So, um uh there's an evolution to Ghostface cuz it's like, you know, should happen. Um yeah, I on top of that this trailer just really well done. <laughs> um, and man, I'm going to have to get there as soon as I can. Uh here's what I'm legitimately thinking. So I'm going to Sposkers this weekend. I'm legitimately thinking the first time I can get to it that it'll be available will be just Sunday night after the Oscars, after I've already watched three movies and then watched the Oscars, like depending on when the Oscars end, you know, if there's like a 1030 showing in Springfield, like <laughs> maybe me and Scott will go or something. But uh, yeah, I, I just, I cannot wait. I need to see this movie as soon as I possibly can. So um, yeah. Uh, Joe, real quick, before we move on to the SIF topic, uh, just anything that you want to promote uh, for people to check you out on other places? Yeah, I mean, this just the usual spot. Um, Instagram, uh, you can reach me at the Star Spangled Avenger uh, with an underscore under each one of the words, um, you know, where I post things about anime, comic books, weight training, running, all types of things. Films, don't, don't, yeah, you gotta include films <laughs> in there. Yeah, been watching a lot of non, non-live action stuff lately, though, so um, yeah, you can catch me there. Nice. Um, and a quick reminder, patreon.com slash to check out all episodes early and some extra content such as um, all of the new releases that I see. I'll give reviews um, on the $10 and up tier. So let's talk about League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. I think it's fair to say, um, as always on the show, that um, when we get to the SIF topic, we are in full spoiler mode. Uh, sometimes we reserve like, um, you know, spoilers for when we watch a movie and it's got a relatively recent release. Um, like uh, I think maybe Jurassic Park or Jurassic World Dominion, we might have done that. Anyway, um, safe to say that because we're talking about *Leave Extraordinary Gentlemen* as the main film, we will, and it's twenty years old at this point. Um, we will be spoiling it. Um, *Leave Extraordinary Gentlemen*, two thousand three film, twenty year anniversary. Hey, um, July eleventh. Mark, mark, mark it, everybody. Discussing film, July 11th, will be posting League of Extraordinary Gentlemen came out 20 years ago, and literally no one will care. Anyway, in an alternate Victorian age world, a group of famous contemporary fantasy, science fiction, and adventure characters team up on a secret mission. Uh, writers here, we have James Robinson. I think that's the one, because I think uh, the it's based off of a comic book by Kevin O'Neill and Alan Moore, right? So, ke- yes. Ke- Kevin O'Neill is attributed in that as well. So James Robinson, yeah. the screenplay. Yep. 
Yep. And directed by Stephen Norrington, friend of the show from Blade. Uh, I didn't realize that. And then I saw his name in the credits as the movie was going. I was like, oh, all right. Um, Sean Connery, Stuart Townsend, Jason Fleming, um, Shane West. Like a surprisingly like thought this cast would have been bigger or better. Um, but probably all the budget was blown on uh, Sean Connery. So, yeah, um, yeah it had to happen. Uh, Joe, real quick, before we get into the rating, um, what is your history with this movie, IP, whatever? And um, like, what were your thoughts going into it this time? Um, like before pushing play? I'm trying to think the first time I saw this and I might've been working at Blockbuster at the time. So I probably rented it. I don't think, I, I don't think I saw this in theaters. Um, so my initial impression of this, it's not great. I don't want to you know, spoil my rating is, but uh, my initial impression of this movie, I didn't think it was great at all. Um, I actually kind of hated it. Um, even back then, I thought the visual effects were pretty, pretty clunky. And like you said, for a film like this, you expect there to be a bigger, like a larger cast. But I mean, Sean Connery, like they, I think they just kind of rolled out the checkbook for Sean Connery. Um, so it kind of makes sense. But uh, yeah, I mean, like I always say, a little tip of the hand here. Uh, yeah, my my opinion has not changed on this film whatsoever. <laughs> Still probably feel the same way. The visual effects are even worse now. Uh, it's such a cool concept and a missed opportunity with this. Like, yeah. One of the greatest, uh, you know, graphic novelist writers of his time, Alan Moore, and uh, no, no wonder why he doesn't want to lend his properties out to people because this type of stuff happens. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, we t- uh, the V for Vendetta and Watchmen are both really good though, and he specifically had his name struck from them because this and From Hell were so poorly received and poorly yeah. adapted and all that. So, um, yeah. So, like, <laughs> just. Yeah, interesting there. Uh, I think I'm going to talk about Watchmen later, actually. So, um, yeah, my history with this movie is I never saw it. And uh, I was running a podcast back in high school with some friends. And um, it was three of us every week. And so the way it worked is just one of us picked a movie that the, that we would all three then watch and then get together and talk about it. And uh, so we one of them picked to leave Extraordinary Gentlemen. And we watched it then. And I haven't seen it since. I haven't desired to see it since. <laughs> Um, but I recall thinking it's fine and like, maybe even like it's, it's underrated, but like, it's not a great movie, but like, it's not a terrible time. It's not like a, you know, not like a really bad movie or anything. Just thinking like, Oh, like that was surprisingly mildly enjoyable. And, um, so I was both excited and fearful giving this a rewatch, um, fearful because like this nobody's talked about this movie in 15 years and for a reason, except for the fact that this movie ruined Sean, like made Sean Connery quit acting. Uh, Yeah. It's like what, that's what it's famously known for. So, so aside from that, nobody has talked about this movie in 15 years. And, uh, but also like, because I was like, I think it's kind of underrated and I don't have like history with the IP. Um, it's a, it's a graphic novel or a comic series or whatever it is that I'm actually pretty interested in checking out. Like it'd be one of those, if I could find, if I, if I found it, I would be interested to pick it up. I almost picked up, um, this store near me had compendium one of invincible for $30 and it's a pre-owned copy. And like, I almost did it, but I'm like, I have enough stuff I haven't read. And like, I'm not a big fan of the show and I feel like the show is adapted really well. Um, but, but like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, you know, having this as its adaptation, if I saw that, I would be like, you know what? Yeah. Alan, Alan Moore has good stuff to his name. I'm sure. I'm sure that regardless on what I'm actually going to say about the movie, this is going to be better. Um, so 
Anyway, uh, let's get into like it, love it, hate it, dislike it, think it's just okay scale. I am on the low side of it's just okay. Um, like te- teetering that line of didn't like it. Uh, actually, no, never mind. Um, opposite. I am on the high side of didn't like it, teetering into just okay. But ultimately, if I have to pick one of these five, I'm going to go didn't like it. Uh, not very strongly, though. So, um, Joe, where do you fall on that scale? Oh, I, I hate it. I hate this one. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think it meanders. I think it's like really drawn out. It's how long is this film? I feel like I was uh, watching this hour and 50. It felt like I was watching this for about two and a half, three hours. Yeah, that's fair. Good way for Dan. Uh, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I remember you saying last month that like this was the one that you commonly refer to as your least favorite movie ever. Um, and like, look, I'm not trying to defend this movie at all, but this is no Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance, man. Like, <laughs> um, so I mean, they, uh, they could they could ride in the car together. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not I'm not saying I'm not saying either one's good or bad. They're both terrible. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but all right, so I was in the liked it camp for this movie until like the end of the Venice sequence. Then I like I kind of really enjoy the first half of this movie, and I hate everything about the second half of the movie um but yeah up until like like they say venice and that's it right um up until that point i'm really in the like it camp then we get the twist of dorian gray and i'm like this was stupid and the rest of the uh and the rest of the movie just that second half of the movie felt like three hours on its own (laughs) it feels forever (laughs) and it's and and like it's not fast-paced at all it it just Oh boy, it I have a huge problem with the cinematography. Like there's so many cuts. Yeah. All the time and it's so dark. Like somebody put up a light and no one ever heard of three-point lighting. Like you can't see anything half the it's time. It's not good. <laughs> and when you do, you're like I don't really care because I chopped it up to pieces. Sure. Yeah, I uh I don't know, I guess I guess there was just enough enjoyable for me and maybe it's because I had low expectations both times going into this um that I I I had a good time. I don't I don't desire to. And you know, now that I've covered it on this podcast and I don't plan on doing another podcast anytime soon, you know, um, I don't know, maybe at one point I might be dragged into watching this movie again, but like, I'm not planning on it. And like, but I would absolutely be excited if they announced, you know, uh, you know, that it's, you know, especially if Damon Lindelof wanted it, wanted to give it the Watchmen treatment, you know, I'd be super excited to hear about if this was be- going to become a project, you know, now, but uh, as far as this movie goes, I streamed it on HBO Max, and um, yeah, I'm just not gonna not gonna check it out um, ever uh, again if I don't have to. Um, it, it just like I said, it just feels like a, such a huge missed opportunity. Like I mean, we saw with like last year with uh, Werewolf by Night, like what you can do with with this genre, and like when you do like action horror, and like I get it, it's 2003, but like when in Con- like we we reviewed Constantine, and Constantine was what 2005, yeah. Uh, to me, that movie still hold, yeah, it still holds up. Like, and, and Constantine they, leaps and bounds above this movie. Yeah, and, leaps and, and I had problems with it, right? Like, yeah, there's it's not perfect, but uh, the things it does well, it does really well. You know what I mean? Like, sure. Uh, but but this, like, I don't know. It's like it, it's like the jack of all trades, but like not really, because like it it, it it doesn't even have like the bare minimum requirement level for each one of the things it tries to tackle. Like, it's just you can tell that nobody involved in this movie cares. Um, none of the actors, none of the actors care, uh, from what I was reading, like Stephen Norrington was really excited when he signed on, but then like 
studio interference and all this thing, you know, very common 2003, you know, big budget things. Like just, you could tell it just killed the love for him and for this movie. And then, you know, he produced for them a pile of crap that they wanted and, you know, they wanted it. They were the only ones that wanted it. They're still the only people that wanted it because because fans, critics, people involved, you know, like I, I could kind of see how this could suck the joy out of somebody like, you know, I could kind of see how Sean Connery would be like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm not not really interested in doing that again. It's like, yeah, that, that kind of makes sense. And oh, man, it, it, it just it looks like everybody is having the worst time of their life. Um but but again, there's some really interesting, there's some really cool sequences in here. Like uh, I really like the sequence where we meet Alan at the uh, at the bar in Morocco or Africa. I think it's Morocco, but Africa for sure. Um, I li- I kind of like that sequence. Terrible CGI and you know not bad or, and, and bad, but not the worst choreography and cutting of the movie. But like it's probably the best choreography in the movie, and like <laughs> to me, the best a- action sequence. Like it's really, I think it's well done. That's like one of the positives I had. Well, and it's a really good way to introduce, you know, to introduce that kind of character. You know, he he's he's just around the corner of somebody that's pretending to be him to ward off people that are touristing and trying to visit. And then you have all of a sudden motive for him to get involved because somebody's assassinated because they think that he's him right off the bat. And then, you know, we get to see him, you know, Indiana Jones it up. Um, so I um, I think there's also just a problem here, too, with like these aren't characters that modern audiences know, like. Like, yeah, I, uh, I recognize the invisible man and Jekyll and Moriarty, Nemo and Sawyer. So that still leaves Dorian Gray and Harker and Quartermain. And and when your star is the person you don't know, that's like kind of a problem. And like, I'm not like, that's the, I'm sure the source material, you know, but, uh, um, I think, I think people that are aware of like film and, and, uh, and fiction, like, especially like books will know Mina Harker she's was bitten by dracula she was well i i only knew she, when she said van helsing i was like oh okay so she's in the dracula storyline um, yes so she yeah, so, she's, a, she's a character from from those novels so so like i got to piece that together but it's like i i just there's not there has there hasn't been like an alan quartermain movie in recent like you know the last, other than, last other than alan this quartermain one. movie like was what uh canon films they did the I think so, yeah, yeah. series yeah, in like the 80s. Because like the- <laughs> we looked it up and like same with Dorian Gray, like as a wildly popular book series that I think maybe got a, a a movie treatment in, you know, somewhere between the 40s and 60s. And like, it's just not a character like I would I would love to see this with characters that like we really know, like, um, uh, I mean, what's what would be a what would be a good I mean, I guess there's a couple here. I get even Invisible Man is kind of like. I guess I guess the modern reboot kind of gave a little, you know, but like I'm talking like, you know, Jekyll style, like what would be a good um, I, I don't even I'm have trouble. So um, <laughs> especially because these are all like from novels, you know, not uh, not like film people. These are old literary characters. And I like that. Right. But like what's. Uh, yeah, I think, anyway. I, I think so, yeah, some of them are kind of obscure, like like Nemo. I had no idea who Nemo was. Uh, uh, I mean, I only knew just because well, actually I initially thought Moby Dick. Um, but then later, like, no, 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 man, that's 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, which a movie and a book that I have no experience with. But I at least like recognize, you know, he he's a he's a ship captain, you know, Nemo. I thought I thought it was Moby Dick at first, but I thought Dorian Gray was interesting as far as a character goes. Performance wise, I thought he I thought Peter I thought that Townsend was fine. 
I could have, well, I, I could see somebody like Johnny Depp playing that character, though. Yeah, it does really feel like it feels if like Johnny, Johnny Depp, Depp hadn't done pri- hadn't done pirates, he would have been in this role, right? Um, so, like, it did kind of feel like it was written for him, um, and and makeup and hairstyling was made for him. But like, yeah. it also goes to kind of kind of this point where it's like we don't really know much about any of these characters because they don't really do good exposition. They kind of expect you to know and love the character already, and then throw them into something, and so. Like for people that are like never heard of Alan Quartermain, like you could relatively piece together, oh, he's kind of like the inspiration for Indiana Jones, right? Like, and um, and you can kind of piece together, um, you know, Harker is part of, you know, is is in the Dracula storyline somewhere. She's like Van Helsing's someone. Then Dracula bites her, so she's like kind of on like like Blade, where she's kind of like on both sides, or like not, well, not really on either side, but like is at least part vampire, but like isn't. Yeah, in, in the uh, isn't a bad guy like <laughs> in the lore, Van Helsing is being is called in to kind of control the situation because he has, uh, you know, he he dabbles within that, you know, the the dark. I don't want to say the dark arts, but like hunting, um, vampires, werewolves, whatnot. True. It d- depends. Well, then, on, depends on the depiction of the character. But like Dorian Gray, there's there's like a really interesting back like back character thing with him, where like essentially the only thing that can kill him is him looking at his own portrait and like we're kind of giving glimpses of that, but it's like, what's the mythology there? And what's the, like the movie just expects us to know that. And so it was even, I, Oh man, this is a good comparison. Um, I, I left the green Knight hating the movie. And, but then the more that I like looked at why people love the movie, they, they were familiar with, with, uh, what is it? Is it Gwen? Yeah. That- yeah. They understood. Like if you have, like, if you understand the lore, for those for, for those who understand the lore, you're you're gonna get more out of it. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. And so that was one of the like doing research on that story helped me appreciate that movie. I don't think it's one I'm ever gonna go back to, but like helped me kind of understand and appreciate what the movie was going for. So, um, I, I like I like I feel like if if you could understand the pre existing characters and pre existing lore, this movie would be a better time. But the movie kind of wants to have it both ways where it's like, let's just introduce the portrait. But I was like, that's a really interesting thing that you're only going to just casually throw. Also, why does he just have it on a wall in his house, not covered if all he has to do is look at it and then he'll die. Like, shouldn't that be wrapped up in four or five bed sheets and put in a safe and drop in the bottom of the ocean? Like, you know, right. right. I would definitely like lock that up somewhere. And like, or if you want to like, make sure it's safe because it's at your house, like then, yeah, uh, Either way, like lock it up in three saves under four bed sheets, and you know, like not on your wall. So like, there's because it just gets stolen off his wall, right? So it's like, and it's a wall that's like facing a staircase. It's like, what if he happens to just glance up one time? Like, I thought he's just dead. You know, I maybe I I I gave the filmmakers more credit. I thought he had actually hidden it, and that's why there was an empty spot on the wall. But if they just stole it off the wall. Man, he's really dumb. I mean, unless it's one of those that like he's... see, I, I shouldn't have to. I shouldn't have to like make up my own headcanon around why this character's smart or why they're dumb. You know what I mean? Like the, the writer should be able to, you know, establish where that painting is and like because it's important to his character. I mean, the only the only explanation, right? The only thing I can think of is what if it's his version of Russian roulette? You know, he's ti- he's tired of immortality. Tired of living, uh... he, he's tired of living. He kind of wants, like, maybe one day he's just like, I'm ready. And he just decides to glance up, like, you know, but, but that's not the way the character feels, you know? Right. That would have been too, that would have been too nuanced for this, for this (laughs) type of movie. 
he's very happy with his life. He's very happy with the way things have turned out for him. He, you know, he goes through the double cross. Like that means clearly he has plans for beyond, you know, today. Um, so like it, it's, yeah, it's like, that's the only thing I can think of is what if it's like, you know, like I've been watching, um, uh, rewatching Luther in preparation for, uh, Luther, the fallen son. And at the start of, uh, season two, um, just you see him play Russian roulette every morning. Um, just one quick, you know, there's, there's a bullet somewhere in the trailer is today going to be the day that I die. And that adds to like where the character is and, uh, like in, and in a mental space and all that and dealing with everything around him. And, uh, and, and then there's like, it's expounded upon later and given really good meat, like a, a really a good meaning for a particular situation. But like, if, if that's kind of his thing, right. If he like wants to keep it displayed because he's like, I'm just one of these days, I'm just going to actually look you know but yeah you're right that's way too nuanced for this kind of movie so and like uh, i said he doesn't play it that way like he wants to live you know right so like like i said out of all the all the re all what the four rewatches i've probably seen this i've probably rewatched this more times than i'm willing to admit it just kind of pops up on places and like but uh yeah it makes his character seem really just negligent if somebody just steals it off his wall he's not gonna like i said lock it up in a safe and like bury it in the ocean somewhere you know but I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, here's the thing. We talked so long about the last of us and we were diving into this. I was like, I don't have anything to say about this movie other than it's mildly enjoyable. There's a lot of moments that will just make you cringe. Um, like, uh, I'm thinking of, uh, like there's a moment where we're introduced to the crew and, and one of the guys says, call me Ishmael. And it's just like, Oh, like what a stupid, like that had to be put into the script filmed and left in the film on you know in the editing process like like there's there's a good a chunk of moments like that um but it's uh the 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 dialogue overall is pretty cringy yeah it's it's not it's not very good dialogue there's there's kind of like we said there's no nuance to dorian gray character there's no nuance to any of these characters there's not even like an interesting like um like we see the grave uh, that says quartermain and we're like all right so is it a child or a wife um and we eventually find out it's a child but like there's doesn't add anything to the story the fact that he had a kid that he lost in battle like other than that's why he's retired he that doesn't have to be the reason he could just be i'm old i don't belong in that field anymore you know uh i just want to live the rest of my life in peace like there's there's no nuance to any of these characters any of these performances there's no new there's no nuance or even cleverness to the dialogue this is just your basic run-of-the-mill action movie in 2003 that has a mildly enjoyable first half and a really terrible second half. Yeah. I mean, I'll agree with you there. I think the second half is worse than the first half. I don't like any of the acts, but um, if I think there are aspects of like the first, the first half an hour that could be that are mildly enjoyable at times. Like I said, the, the opening sequence when he, like he's hiding away in the library, like some of that stuff is really, really brilliant. He's just hiding, hiding away in this, you know, in his bar, you know what I mean? Um, sure that totally makes sense. I was actually a pretty decent piece of writing, but like it's, it's only downhill from there um, as far as characterization. And like, they try to like tug at the heart, not tug at the heartstrings, but they try to give his emotional backstory with his son, like you said, and they try to relate that to Sawyer, um, try to have like a kind of a father son thing, thing there. It kind of falls flat in my opinion. I think Shane West, I think, I think Shane West is actually trying in this movie. Um, Yeah. That doesn't mean I like him though. Yeah. He's not great. And I mean, I mean, Connery's, he's not, He's not bad in this movie um, by any means, but you can tell he's not having like a great time. Uh, I think yeah, he, I think I, he got into a fight with Norrington at some point in time. Like they had kind of 
some squabbling back and forth. I think that was also part of like why he did not like. Yeah, the I saw. I saw in the IMDb trivia that there was something where it was like there was a all the heroes walking in one line to shoot something, and Connery was mad because like they had to do more than one take of that. It's like it's just walking, like um, so. Um, yeah, I, I'm legitimately thinking any other thing to think about this movie. Um, I, I thought it was pretty laughable when <laughs> my wife pointed out when we were watching, like, why are those bombs so big? I was like, I know nobody noticed those big suitcase bombs. They were just chilling in all these places. Like no one realized that was going on. It, it, if you think about any aspect of this film too much, it gets really, really silly. Um, you really, it's really one of those movies. I hate to say where you kind of have to like. If you want to have any type of enjoyment, you got to turn off your brain. You can't think about it too much. Yeah, that's fair. It falls apart really easy. Um, I, I, I just don't have anything else to say. Um, uh, there, there was nothing that I really wanted to write down um, as of watching this. So I didn't make any notes, but like, I didn't think anything was worth noting other than I kind of like the Africa scene and um the call me ishmael was the biggest cringe moment and the uh also like that ending is so dumb especially because like if you're gonna commit i want to see zombie hand come out of the grave and grab the rifle like don't cut right before that happens like, if you if that's the ending you're going for i want to see zombie hand come up and grab the rifle that, that was like uh, some of the worst sequel bait i'd ever seen yeah it's and it's so like, bad oh here's here's the thing apparently i was looking that they had planned a sequel because naturally they did and the sequel was supposed was a uh, was supposedly going to have um, the league fighting the um, the pods from H.G. Wells War of the Worlds. Like and apparently there's like a newspaper thing in the background that says something about how like something happened on Mars and like there's whatever. And so like there's a little itty bit of a tease from that. But like I I still really want to see that movie. Like <laughs> that would be so cool. I would like to um, see that movie with a different cast, a I different mean, writer, a different director. <laughs> like, like I don't, yeah, you're right. I don't want to see, I don't want to see that movie actually come out in 2005 with, with all this, but it's like, at least if, if that would have been the, the movie, um, like instead of this plot, that would have been more interesting. Like at least, cause at least it could have been like, more fun and more dumb and like again with this cast and script and all that kind of feels like dumb and fun should have been the vibe um the um <laughs> uh the other thing i wanted to mention is this movie gave me mad vibes of the king's man um did you see that one i did um but i actually i actually kind of like that movie <laughs> no me too but i mean like in terms of like the way the story is going right it's like it's very much like World War One is about to happen and then, you know, does. And uh, except in this one, it's almost entirely like um, like a prequel to precursor to World War One versus uh, uh, the King's Man is just like secret things that are happening while World War One is happening and secretly being being controlled by, you know, this secret group or whatever. So it's like it just kind of gave me those vibes. And it's just like, is the King's Man like the closest we're going to get to a Lee Extraordinary Gentleman movie. Cause like, that's fine. I think the King's man is a good movie, <laughs> but yeah, it just kind of, it just kind of gave me some of those vibes. Like, Oh, like this feels very much like that. Now I just want to watch the King's man. Like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, watch, watch something. And it's like, you know, more well-constructed, better version of that where I, I guess you can compare it to, right. Cause it's, it's uh, it's kind of alternate fictional, you know, uh, world as we know it, like else world types thing. So I, I, I see, I see where the connection is a little, Plus, it's like a little heightened. You know what I mean? 
where this sure. is this is completely heightened because there's you know there's monsters and like you got all those sure. tra- you got all those trappings but yeah that's a good good comparison um, see when you take that material and you put it in the right hands see what happens right you actually get a you know comparable film that you could watch from beginning to end and not hate yourself so yeah like i said i just there wasn't too much that like overly offended me but there wasn't like much to excite me so i, I ultimately landed in dislike because i think that second half was just so uninteresting and moved so slowly but like if you really want to watch this movie, like don't, definitely don't pay for it. But like, there's worse things to watch out on HBO Max right now. But like, I'm certainly wouldn't recommend it. And um, like, if you if you have fond memories of this movie, fine. Like, you're not going to think highly of it when you watch it again. So just don't. You know, um, there, there's there's no reason to watch this movie. But if you did turn it on, like, you could certainly do worse. So that's kind of my final thoughts. Um, but yeah, mostly because the movie wants me to be familiar with characters and wants me to input, you know, a bunch of lore for them that would make me appreciate them, but also doesn't want to make them nuanced characters. And it's not shot very well. The effects weren't quite ready for what they wanted to do. And it just looks like everybody had a miserable time on set. And that's, uh, that's yeah, like the, the, the sequence where in France, where, um, it's, it's Quartermain and, uh, and Tom Sawyer like chasing Hyde, um, like to try to capture him. That should have been a fun sequence, and that like was you could hardly see anything. Boring. That's a problem. <laughs> you could hardly see anything. It, every everything looked the exact same. So I'm like, wait, weren't we just there? And uh, oh, that's such a good point. Locations you can't like they all look the same. Yeah, everything looked and France looked the exact same as Venice, except with water. Um, Venice had water. I mean, um, like no, nothing felt like clearly defined locations except for africa um which is the nicest bar i've ever seen in a town that has like villages and that's it like teepees outside uh not teepees huts huts outside mud huts outside of this really nice bar it was like a bar and like like kind of like rest place for like hunters right so i mean it it kind of makes sense right so i don't know i don't care enough (laughs) the people that go on safari and whatnot so it made it made sense to me that that type of bar would just kind of be chilling there sure um and it, yeah just sequences that like i could tell that this is a fun idea and an ip that like again if i if i found compendium one for this somewhere for a relatively low price i'd absolutely pick it up um i'd really be interested in checking out the alan moore source for this if hbo announced that they were doing a series on this you know um sure i'd get excited and if i guess whoever has the rights whoever wants the rights whatever decided they're coming out with a new movie I'd have to see some cast and a decent writer director, but like if I got excited about it, like I would be excited to see this IP return as long as it's not like a, you know, we, we just really liked that first movie. It has to be, we love this IP. That first movie didn't do it justice. We really want a chance to tell the story right. And, or to, and to tell, get all this right. So I would be really excited to see this IP. Yeah. I, I think in the right hands, this can be done really well. Like I just, kind of, I've kind of just started reading League of Restoring Gentlemen. Um, it's drastically different. I think it takes place in the '60s, also, so it's it's a little different. It is di- it is still definitely Elseworld type of like alternate world. Um, definitely a lot darker. Um, and you know, may- maybe that's the approach if somebody wants to pick this back up. It's like actually like harness more of the Alan Moore energy and like I don't know, be more faithful t- to the source material uh, to a degree. So I don't know. Um, like I said, we'll we'll be talking about our casting choices if we were going to. Uh, you know cast this film so yeah let's i feel like that's a good segue i'm more excited about that than than the film 
Let's, it feels like a good point because I don't. I think we'll just talk ourselves in circles if we keep talking about this movie anymore. And um, it, we're both saying like it would be exciting if it was in the right hands. So what does those right hands look like? We will start off with uh, we'll, we'll we'll do a fantasy cast of Quartermain, The Invisible Man, Harker, Gray, Jekyll, Moriarty, Nemo, Sawyer, uh, a writer and a director. So um, Joe, who do you have for Alan Quartermain? And uh, I pick somebody who's like he normally plays villains he's known for playing villains but i think mads mickelson would knock this out of the park i think he'd be really cool yeah i just like i like his look i everything i've seen in him i've liked him um yeah i i think he can i, I think he definitely can can knock this one out of the park sure um for my fantasy cast by the way since i'm not familiar with these character they're most of these characters or um like the any really anything kind of the vision that i had was let's re let like let's imagine this 2003 movie never existed like there was a script loss like this concept existed but it never this movie never got made so we want to make this movie now but good with a cast so like my quarter main i was just like all right who is who could i do for like a modern sean connery so um so like i don't know because I, I feel like mads mickelson is significantly younger and so like that's 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 fine but i'm just like yeah um the only thing i had to base off of was the characters in this movie and I just have a feeling that that, that that's not a good judge. So um, I my first thought, and I really like this thought, was Harrison Ford uh, because of the Indiana Jones connection. I thought that would be fun uh, because apparently Quartermain is the one that inspired, like, was the biggest inspiration for um, for Indiana Jones when, when they were working on that film. Um, so I thought that would be fun. And I thought, but I thought also like he is getting kind of old. He kind of wants to get out of action franchises and all that, you know. But whatever this is a fantasy cast and all that and if they could convince sean connery to do it at that age then we could convince harrison ford to do it then i mean harrison ford also just signed up for thunderbolts too so like yeah exactly um now he won't have an actiony role but like it certainly means he's not interested this doesn't have to be an actiony role anyway anyway ultimately i didn't decide on harrison ford i just i thought let's have a fun bond connection still um and so why not timothy dalton that could be really fun yeah it could be good um could be you know uh, but I feel like, especially like, man, nobody brings charm like Timothy Dalton does. And, uh, um, like, I feel like that's kind of what this Alan Quartermain character, like, like he's kind of like old and gruff in this. And he's just kind of like super sexist also. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he really is. Um, but he, it's just Sean Connery playing himself. Yeah. It kind of felt like Sean Connery <laughs> playing himself in this movie. He's just kind of old, you know, over this and sexist. And, uh, and I just thought like. Like, what if this was character like, was was having fun? What if they were like quirky and charming and charismatic? I mean, there's got to be a reason that all these people have this connection to him and want to work for him and things like that. So like Timothy Dalton and like I know I made the Bond connection, but like the role I'm thinking of is Hot Fuzz. Like, and I realize he's a bad guy in that, but like <laughs> he's so good, if he man. could channel that energy from Hot Fuzz, like yeah, that's gonna be great. Interested. Um, so uh invisible man this is oh this is one of the things too um i I meant to mention anytime they use like powder on the face for a practical effect i hated it but i actually really liked the cg i thought that was the one thing that they got right um like one thing that looked good not consistently but like looked good looked detailed didn't look bad and was a really interesting visual effect anytime you would just like smear a handprint across his face so you could see it uh yeah it kind of worked yeah so this is not really a, a character that you need to, like, I thought we didn't need to spend too much time. It's more about the attitude, the way they carry themselves. So, um, Invisible Man, who is your, oh, oh, and also, um, 
almost all these characters are in the public domain, so they were able to just use them. But Paramount had the rights to the Invisible Man. So if you notice, they have to call him an Invisible Man in the movie, oh, not no. the Invisible Man. And <laughs> and in the original source material, apparently there there isn't a name listed. Like he's not referenced by name. And so they just like they just made up a name. <laughs> um, like for whatever his name is, Smith or whatever. So um who did you cast for the invisible man yeah for the invisible man um uh, i picked um uh Cillian murphy um i think yeah. he'd be, i think he'd be really good in this he could play just i've seen him play just about everything um I, so i i think he definitely brings some of that kind of scarecrow-esque kind of uh you know type of swagger to this role i think he'd do a great job um i picked matt smith and i picked him based off of his last night in soho role i really like him and I, like it's <laughs> He's he's got that like creepy energy, but like also like suave and quick witted. Um, oh, I so, can see that, yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, he, he could definitely do that. Um, if anybody's seen House of Dragons, he's he's excellent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a, that's a great call too from House of Dragons. So, yeah. um, and I feel like he's one of those that like he everybody really loves him in House of the Dragon, and a lot of people really liked him in Doctor Who on his run. Um, if only he wasn't right after David Tennant, then, you know, I think people would have liked him more. <laughs> but yeah, uh, and that's as a non-Doctor Who thing, but that's just the consensus I get. People really like him in that. But he hasn't made that transition to the big screen really well uh, because Last Night in Soho is a really underappreciated movie, in my opinion. And, uh, um, you know, he was in Morbius. <laughs> so, right. Um, and uh, Terminator Genesis. So not a great character. They're they're trying to make him a thing, but he hasn't quite. And so, anyway, I feel like uh, I feel like he would be a lot of fun in this. Um, what about Harker? Who do you have for Harker? Yeah, for Harker, I got um, Anya Taylor Joy. Um, nice. I, I think she'd be really excellent in this. Um, as she's no stranger to the horror genre, or you know, th- this type of genre. Yeah, she's really versatile, and she she just has such a unique look. Like she has such a great look, uh, where it's like. She looks youthful or whatnot, but you could definitely like, maybe she is kind of like, uh, you know, several hundred years old, you know, vampire. <laughs> so uh, I think, I think that really work uh, in her favor. But yeah, that, that was my choice. Sure. I went with Rosario Dar- Dawson. Um, Cause she's awesome. And like, like I tried to think of who is a badass female and Charlize Theron, Rosario Dawson was the first two that I thought of, but I think both of them are really good and their role and like really good in their roles. But like, I feel like Rosario Dawson really likes roles where she's allowed to just like kind of stick it to the patriarchy and like, you know, kind of show up um, like tradition, traditional like women roles or whatever. And I, I obviously want to flip this character on her head, give her more agency and more authority. And uh, I can't think of anyone better to do that than Rosario Dawson. So, yeah, that's a good pick. Uh, what about Dorian Gray? Yeah, for Dorian Gray, um, I will Robert Pattinson. If you would ask me to do this, like, like you know, a deck, you know, whenever he did Twilight, I probably would, I would never mention his name. But he's built up like a really good track record, um, and he's really proved that he's like a true talent. Uh, you know, especially after I watched uh, Good Time, I was like, yeah, this kid, this kid's good. <laughs> sure. Um, so yeah, I went Robert Pattinson. I, I think he, I think he really throw himself in this role and have a lot of fun. Uh, I like that pick a lot. Uh, certainly more than my pick. Um, I, I really just. Wanted to get creative with this fantasy cast, and I went with Logan Lerman. Oh, that's um, a good one. And it's it's because I feel like he never really broke out of the like young innocent boy yeah, yeah, face sh- thing, sh- shy boy. <laughs> yeah, 
because like he was in um what, what was what what was it? I know he was in Fury, right? Was like a, a role that like kind of started to help, tra- but he's still his role as the young innocent boy that gets his first glimpse at war, you know, in a in a tank. But like, right, he's, was he's, he in... he's somewhat typecasted, but like you said, his character evolves over time. But um, yeah, well, he did Perks being a wallflower, and was was he was he in the Jurassic Park movie? Uh, no. no, but he, I mean, he was in uh, I mean with the Percy Same Jackson thing. films um, uh, early on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, and like, I feel like they put him in Three Musketeers in 2011, and nobody saw that movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think I saw it on like uh, Redbox. <laughs> he's in a uh, Three Ten to Yuma, but he's a child in that movie, and uh, right. Um, and he's in. Uh, he was in Bullet Train last year, but he's a corpse. So, um, anyway, like, I feel like he's one of those like could be a really good actor, but just never quite broke out of that like. Oh God, YA. Was that him? Wait, wait, wait. Was that him in Bullet Train? Oh wow, that's that was great. He, he looked so, like Post Malone. <laughs> like I think he's a really good actor. Um, he's great in Fury, and he's um, he's really good in Perks of Being a Wallflower. And it's just like he kind of hasn't quite broken out of that YA phase. I feel like this would help him do that, but he could also bring that kind of like again, kind of that charm and wit that that Dorian has. Like I feel like co- confidence is the right word, right? And so again, you give him this confident role, and maybe that can help him break out of that shy kid, fit, you know, typecast and. Look, it's also not going to help. It's not also not going to hurt your box office because they're going to people that are going to be like, oh, Logan Lerman's in this movie. Let's go see it because I'm, you know, like my wife would would want to go see it based off the fact that he's in it alone because um, like Percy Jackson movies were kind of her era and she doesn't like the movies and is very excited about the new one. But at least like, you know, she's a big person being a Wallflower fan, too. So anyway, um, yeah, that's why I picked uh, again, just trying to cast against type um, for that one. Try to get somebody a role to break out because because you're right. It looks like Johnny Depp should be in this one. So uh, the easy answer would be Johnny Depp. But um, and obviously like, there would be an age thing then with Rosario Dawson, Logan Lerman. But again, we're dealing with these characters that are dealing with immortality. So yeah. how about how about he was able to age down, you know, and. It's not like Logan Lerman is, you know, a teenager anymore. So it's it's like nothing you haven't seen in a Anne Rice novel uh, or read Anne Rice novel. There's different disparities in, the, you know, these yeah. ages, but they're all a thousand years old. Right. Um, and then who's your Jekyll? Yeah. The funny is I thought about this and I didn't choose him because of this reason, but it kind of works. Uh, I picked Nicholas Holt because uh, he's because <laughs> he's beast. <laughs> he's beast. I didn't even really think about that. I just liked the actor and I thought he would be good in it. And he plays yeah. he plays like a lot of like more highly intelligent characters usually anyways i mean um besides nux nux is kind of a thing but, <laughs> but he's good he's got his heart in the right place um but yeah i think he'd be really good in this like you said he, he 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 rarely plays like the same type of character and yeah he's played beast and he did a, i mean he killed that role um uh, despite yeah. the you know the just you know the quality differential between the films he's always pretty right. solid so yeah i went with nicholas holt um for Jekyll and Hyde um I really wanted to focus on so it feels like when they cast for this movie they cast on who could play the monster better um whichever one the monster is is, mo- is the monster Hyde yeah so so it feels like when they made the cast for this League of Extraordinary they th- they thought of Hyde first and they thought of like you know who would be a really intimidating because I mean because that's that that guy has played some of those roles before I mean I think I recognized him I'm sorry I'm blanking on his name right now I'll pull up IMDB um the um I think I remember. I think he's in Lockstock and Two Spoken Barrels. Jason Fleming um, is the is the guy that they had to play League of Strange Gentlemen. Um, yeah, he's in Lockstock Two so- Two Smoking Barrels. Um, is like the the biggest thing I remember him from. Um, yeah, me but, too. Yeah. But yo, know, he even then he's that movie like they aren't like they're big personalities and they talk a big game, but they're not really people that are actually gonna 
hold their own in a in a in a fight, especially in terms of like you know fisticuffs. But um, anyway, so I f- I feel like they went for you know for for casting Hyde first, and I thought let's cast Jekyll first because odds are Hyde is going to be a mostly CG, or you know you cast somebody else right to wear a mostly suit and you superimpose his face on it somehow right you stored either way Hyde is going to be yeah. a mo- mostly cg character like I, I i did kind of appreciate how this one w- looked more prosthetics um it certainly wouldn't have been if it was two years later it certainly would have just been a full bad cg creature but so anyway all that in mind i thought who would be the scientist that would have the appearance that they would want to get you know bigger um as well as kind of have the you know, innocence factor to the Jekyll character and is a good actor and can pull off the duality. So I went with Martin Freeman. Um, That's a good choice. So, yeah, I, I went for, you know, he's just he's just a, a little adorable man in everything he's in, you know, um, as Bilbo Baggins, as um, uh, Watson, as um, the uh, whatever his character's name is in the MCU. Like, here's this little adorable man that wants to be big. Yeah. And it goes too far. And again, you when you yeah I, I i thought about like i legitimately thought about like lufa ring now <laughs> but but no 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 uh, so anyway martin freeman um for moriarty uh or introduced as m um but later to reveal professor moriarty who do you have for that joe uh yeah moriarty um <laughs> this is another one where, like I, I i feel like he'd be really great in this because i i forgot what the movie i watched was it was like a romantic comedy with uh action film with um sandra bullock and came out pretty recently oh Channing tatum the lost yeah, city yeah the lost city and i love daniel radcliffe as a villain in that <laughs> and i'm thinking about it now i was like why did i think like he would be like a like a good villain but like if you take away some of like, the comical aspects of that i thought he was a really good villain so um yeah i went with Dan- daniel radcliffe like i said his his career has been really interesting post harry potter uh, i think he's chosen some really interesting roles and like yeah um he's been doing a great job so far as that that is concerned um yes yeah, so I, I went with daniel radcliffe I, I, I think he'd be great sure i went with david Tennant. he was the first person i thought of uh and i was thinking <laughs> specifically of Kilgrave um and just in jessica jones um because like we see in jessica jones and we want to see from this moriarty character of of him being able to play the straight intelligent you know can fool you but also play Haha, you found out who I actually am. Now I'm going to be, you know, I imagine a little bit more like a wild and zany than the Moriarty that we have in the, uh, at least the the Sherlock TV show, which is my most, most of my, um, actually he is still kind of like wild and crazy. And I was thinking of Mycroft for some reason, um, but like some, uh, like he still kind of can be wild and zany. And like, there's a, there's a moment in Jessica Jones where he has to like, like slithers his tongue, like he's a snake or something like that. And like, that was just, Oh no, that's in Goblet of Fire. Yeah, uh, he does he plays Goblet of Fire. Yeah, Barty Crouch Jr. Yeah. So anyway, either, I guess combine Kilgrave and Barty Crouch Jr. and that's kind of what I'm looking for for my Moriarty. <laughs> yeah, I think it'd be really interesting if he was like this guy, like trying to hold face. You know what I mean? And like he's yeah. like busting at the seams. You know what I mean? Like that would been really. I think he would have been really great at that. Like him trying to hold it together as M, but like. Yeah, there's, there's just something wrong with them. You know what I mean? There's something up with them. Uh, yeah, you can tell, right? And and you can tell when they say M, you know, as well. It's like, uh, I don't know. I mean, I know it's a kind of a it's kind of a 007 callback, but like, it's, yeah, it's kind of like yeah. a little 007 like nod. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So and and also fanboys will be happy because now you have two Doctor Who's in there. I legitimately thought about like, can I just make this full <laughs> of Doctor Who's? Like, you could. David Bradley can be uh, 
Quartermain and whatnot. I'm not, but also, like, I'm not a Whovian. I'm not a Doctor Who fan. I've never seen an episode, so. But I like the actors. Um, uh, Nemo? Yeah, um, he, he's not nearly old enough, but um, I, I don't really care. I think I think Camille Manjani would be pretty cool. Maybe, like, maybe you can kind of, like, you can kind of bend the rules here and kind of retcon some stuff. He doesn't have to be quite as quite as old. Uh, well, and they're based off of literary literary characters. They could be whatever age they like. I like. I feel like right. Like, yo, your quarter main is significantly younger than this movie. At least I think. Yeah. Like, yeah. He's he's a little bit younger. Uh, I've actually cast it younger in a lot of these characters. If you notice, like a lot of them are pretty young. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think he'd be great. Um, I'd like to see him in more more action roles. I mean, he he built up that physique. I mean, let's put it to use. Um, and Nemo in the film is like very acrobatic. He does like a lot of martial arts. So I think it'd be really cool to see somebody more spry and young doing it instead of a stuntman jumping in, <laughs> taking hold and like obvious stuntman coming in. So like, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's been undertaking for him. Sure. Uh, it's Dev Patel. Always has been Dev, Dev Patel for me. That's great. I mean, that's, that's also excellent choice. I mean, it, it, we're also stuck in this really interesting like bubble as Americans who aren't exposed to many, you know, actors that are from that region of the world. Like we get, yeah, like Deb Patel, Kamel Nanjiani, and yeah, it's like the tax <laughs> and the taxi driver from Deadpool. You know, like yeah, the, the same four or five people. You know, wow. or, or or the guys from RR and R or RRR. You know, like we 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 don't have a big pool, and I really don't want I really don't want to whitewash this. And uh, you know, I even like I, I was looking at the end, and I'm like, man, I really wish I could throw in another. I really wish I would have thought about it, and I would have thrown in another person of color. Um, but um, yeah, just um, because I mean, this is a pretty just white cast you know <laughs> it, but but like it's it's already it's, it's you know, the time like you know what i mean like very white movie you know this 2003 version so it you know um, it, it could have been worse you know captain nemo couldn't have been of any I, I don't know if he's of indian descent uh the the actor they have in the film but yeah uh, it's I'm not, not sure it's not completely whitewashed it's like you know it's not it's not mickey rooney <laughs> you know breakfast at tiffany's you know what i mean it's not like it's yeah not, it's yeah, not yeah, terrible yeah. Um, so anyway, like, it's just, it's just one of those things where it's like, it was always going to be one of two or three different, different people that we were going to pick because we're just not exposed to too many. Yeah. Um, I mean, th- things are changing though. So that's, I mean, that's yeah, good. Yeah. 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 Nice. And that's good. Yeah. Um, for sure. Um, Sawyer, this is our last person cat, like a actor cast. Um, yeah, for this, since I, uh, so I really kind of skewed and cast it a little bit younger. I put, uh, Joe, Joe Curry or Carrie. Uh, how do you say hmm. his name? Yeah, yeah, from Stranger Things. Yeah, I, I think he'd be great. Um, I love him in Stranger Things. I think Steve is an amazing character. Got an amazing character arc. Uh, but yeah, I, I always like him. I like his performance. I've liked him every single season I've seen him in. Uh, I'm trying to think if I've seen him in any other films. Uh, no, I think he's just kind of only broken out. Um, I think he's starting to get other roles, and, but I think he'll also be typecast for a little bit. Yeah, he's be typecast for a little bit. But um, yeah, I, I actually think he would fit this role extremely well. Uh, I can imagine like a Mads Mikkelsen type character taking him under his wing, trying to trying to sh- show him how to truly shoot. I, th- I thought that part of the film was actually pretty cool, like him trying to teach him how to shoot and stuff. And Bur- oh, he was in uh, Free Guy. Oh, he was in Free Guy. Yeah, yeah, I liked him in Free Guy. And he had a really small role in Molly's Game, which is yeah, I haven't seen that yet. Yeah. I love Molly's Game. Yeah, but um, yeah, Free Guy. I was like, I feel like he's been in one movie. Yeah, I, I think I think he'd be good. He's got a good look. I think he fits that role right. Yeah. Um. 
I went with I, like I really like kind of this character being just significantly younger. I went with a little bit younger than what even this movie has. Like I like the idea that it's he's kind of a novice that you know America sent over and you know is kind of a young. Also like really funny that that they like keep on making jokes about like you shoot like an American and yeah. like you just spray and you know it, spray and pray essentially and like and hope to hit your target right. But like it's it's just use more than one bullet. It's a waste. Like, right, but. Yeah, it, it was it was it was one of those where it's like you're kind of right, but it's also like you know Americans do love their guns. So, um, <laughs> um, so I went with uh, again. I, I wanted a specifically like really young buck, so I went with Mason Thames. Uh, he is the um, main character in the Black Phone from last year, and um, I think that actor has a bright future ahead of him. And uh, I really love that movie, and I I really like. It, it's a it's a really good film. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. super good. Uh, and and again, I think I think that both him and um, his little sister uh, both have really bright futures in the career because they're both so good. Uh, yeah, really great. Really, child all, actors. really, all the kids were really good in the movies. You know, Scott Derrickson really knew what he was doing there. But yeah, um, I thought yeah, that's that's a great pick for uh, for my Tom Sawyer. Um, yeah, solid writer director. Um, go ahead and give both of what you have, since sometimes they're lumped together, but sometimes not. Uh, yeah, I had them both the same person. I picked, which I think is kind of an obvious choice in, in my opinion, is Guillermo del Toro. I mean, he loves visual oh, effects. Man. He loves monsters. He's a great storyteller. Um, I, I I love most of his stuff. Um, uh, yeah, I I think he would have the right passion for this. Um, sure. He doesn't quite. He never. He never like. Uh, um, I don't want to. Never half asses it. He always tries his hardest. Um, and he's he's a really passionate like filmmaker. So plus yeah, he, for he, sure. He loves monsters and creatures. So yeah, I think I'll, I think I'll go with that. That's an excellent pick. Um, I went with. I had a really hard time trying to figure out a writer, so I thought, okay, it's got to be done by a comic book geek. It's got to be done by a smart person, and it's got to be done by somebody that has like credibility. And I just. The name John Favreau kept on sticking with me, and yeah, it could be good. Like I kind of thought Kevin Smith for a little bit, but like, like because Kevin Smith is a comic book nerd, and he's done some really good things with the Supergirl show. Um, so like, I feel like it's only a matter of time before he gets you know a a, a big screen movie, um, like for a, a big screen superhero movie. And I don't think it's going to be anything like the Esk Universe. You know, I think he's going to make a legit comic book movie, and. Uh, Man, I'm really excited for the day that he does get one. But I just didn't see this as the project. I re- you know, Favreau is like a mature Kevin Smith um, in, in a lot of ways. I mean, that's actually really reductive um, and not at all <laughs> telling him anything. Uh, but no, like Favreau is just like a, what I mean. What I mean by that is he's just kind of like, you know, you can tell that there's something inside of him that just gets the wonder of things that like excited him as a child, you know, like when you see his work on the Mandalorian or the Iron Man movies, like you could just kind of see his heart and passion pour into these and how he still like, can be serious, but also knows how to make it fun and tap into like a childlike sense of wonder. So, um, but I don't have him directing it. Obviously he's too busy directing Mandalorian. So, um, which, <laughs> you know, it's a fantasy cast. Probably. So anyway, I, because I thought of this director first and um, look, this is where I said it's, probably going to be controversial um i picked uh steven norrington <laughs> the director of this one and let me explain myself um first of all i don't think the direction is the problem with this movie as we mentioned it, there's like really like there's some bad cuts but that's it, you know mostly on editors and people have gotten better at that stuff right um you know so it would it wouldn't be 
as bad there. And I don't, I don't blame the lighting on him. I blame it on the cinematographer and the DP, you know, like I, yeah, I, and, and the, the rest of the crew, like I get, he kind of has his authority on that, but also like he had to work with this really bad script, like, and Sean Connery, who, who, according to him, he turned down roles in matrix and Lord of the Rings because he just didn't get the script. And then he got this one and he just didn't get it. So he signed on. So it's like, you could tell he like, wasn't interested in this. So it's, like looking for a paycheck. Well, looking for a paycheck, looking to try something for people to, you know, I mean, if he would have been Gandalf, I mean, first of all, Ian McKellen's great. And that would have been a shame not to have him, but Connery would have also been great. Yeah. Um, I think it would have worked out too. Yeah. Yeah. It would have absolutely worked out. So it's like, it, it, you know, it's just one of those, he want he wanted a big role and then got to set and realized, Oh, this is just, Oh no. Hell. <laughs> so like, Look, for for all the faults this original movie has, I don't blame it on Norrington. He had a bad script. He had a bunch of studio pressure and a bunch of studio changes. I feel like this is one of those situations where he just got frustrated halfway through making the movie or maybe even right at the start of making the movie. And he's like, fine, you know what? Like, I'm just going to get this over with. And, and he hasn't directed another film since. Like, so I, I'm more willing to put the blame on a bad script and studio pressure and a cast where you don't have a lot of like notables and your main person doesn't care that he's there. The person that takes up all your salary. But like we look just a couple of years before that and we talked about Blade recently and Blade is awesome. Yeah, he, so he, like, he directed the hell out of that movie. He is certainly capable of making a good movie and a good action movie and a good comic book movie. So... And because the the fact that he signed on to this project mean that probably actually meant something to him at some point. So going to bring back Stephen Norrington and we're going to get the studios out of his way and we're going to give him a great script and a cast that actually is interested in being there. Yeah, so because I think you're absolutely right. Like this really felt like a this is definitely like one of the most obvious cases of like film by committee type of yeah. deal like they're just like we need this and uh it's got to be pg-13 you know what i mean make even sure you put call me ishmael in the script i don't even remember that line Maybe it's, just... it's 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 just as they're as they're boarding nemo's ship he's like this is my first mate call me ishmael and that's it so yeah and then you're supposed to feel i mean uh who cares about spoiling this movie when he dies you're supposed to feel something and i'm like I don't know ishmael i don't know him like that why do i care about him <laughs> like, yeah i don't i don't care at all like you, you're not making me care about any of these characters. I feel like even when, uh, even when Quartermain's uh, quote unquote, uh, you know, bites the bullet, it's like, eh, like eh, I don't really care. Sure. But you watch, you know, you watch, you watch something like um, the End Game, and you see like Tony Stark die, and you're like, you're crying like a, you know, I mean, they took you on a journey, and you're crying. You know, I mean, that you're not getting that type yeah. of response out of me with you know your lackluster film like. Sorry. Look, there's also lots of other things that I'm not having in this uh in this movie. Like um that double cross was the worst double cross I've ever seen. So like it's it's really bad. It's and it's and it's so predictable. So it's like yeah. look, I'm not having the double cross in this movie. Um and and yeah, that that if Sean Connery is gonna die, we're gonna make it mean something. And I kinda like the idea of what if you kill him in the first movie and resurrect him at the end of the second movie. You know, what if you put that stinger at the front at the end of the second to where it's like the league moves on, but like because of something that happens in the second movie. They oh, resurrect like him. the like, like the Justice League. Yeah, you bring back kinda, Superman. Yeah. <laughs> well, but I'm saying but I'm saying more, you know, because they kill Superman at the end of Batman versus <laughs> Superman. I'm saying like they still tease Superman coming back at the end, like of of Batman versus Superman. I'm saying, you know, if you, there's kind of like put, some weird parallels between these films too. If you like do like some BBS stuff and like, I don't know, this almost feels kind of Snyder. Sorry to cut you off, but like, I'm no, sorry, sorry to notice that like 
it does have like those Snyderisms before Snyder was a thing. Sure. Yeah. So I, um, yeah. <laughs> Um, I was also looking up Stephen Norrington's filmography to see if he had other things. And um, he has a movie called Death Machine in 1994. as a 5.6 on IMDb and a 2001 movie called The Last Minute. But like, again, like he's got the talent is there in Blade like that we can see. So it's not. It's, so, but and yeah, I'm, either way, if, if we're going to kill off Quartermain in the beginning, we're going to make it actually mean something and let us live in the fact that Quartermain is actually dead for more than 10 seconds. So um, anyway, just. All that is all this. I still pick Stephen Norrington because you got to think that it's clear that this movie being a mess was not his fault. He just made the best of a bad situation. Honestly, like you look at films this era, like that um, that 2003 Daredevil movie, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point, and and you look at Electra, and it's like especially that Daredevil movie. Like when you compare the theatrical cut versus the director's cut, it's so clear that the director was the right guy for the role, and the, there was just studio interference that made it all you know, terrible. So it's like, you got to think Norrington signed on ready to make a good film and Fox or whoever made this just got in the way. Um, so, uh, I think, I think it would take a lot of convincing, but again, this is a fantasy cast. So we'll convince him to come out of retirement, to redeem himself with a good script and, and studio support. So, all right, that'll do it for our fantasy casts. Um, just leaves us with a spinoff. What is that one thing in any area of pop culture that you want to tell everybody to check out or to stay away from? Yeah, I actually didn't really have anything for this this week. I'm trying to think of things that like I've been watching, been watching a lot of the same stuff. But um, I mean, we were talking about The Last of Us. If you're not watching The Last of Us, like, I don't know, what are you doing? Go, go watch The Last of Us. Like, just, just put it on. Just watch it. Um, I, I, you will not be disappointed. Uh, even if you're not a fan of the game, you will still enjoy this. Uh, sure yeah i'll just say the last of us um and then uh i obviously playing some video games i recently finished spider-man edge of time and marvel ultimate alliance 2 i really liked them both the thing that i actually want to talk about is an avoid um i played the prequel games to watchmen um so <laughs> watchmen the end is yeah. nigh part one and part two and Man, it's it's so fun because uh, I, I was messaging with you, Joe, about the Captain America game that was actually pretty good and about how like a lot of the reviews call it like Arkham Light. And it feels like a lot of like yeah. games, superhero games specifically kind of traje- trajected that way. I even saw that Spider-Man Edge of Time was called Arkham Light. Um, and like this was also classified that. And it's like you look, you can tell that like the voice acting in this game is terrible. And like it's it's a really quick game to beat. And it's just a cash grab and it had next to no budget put for it. And it doesn't like, it has a story that I don't care about. It's fine. It's really just meant for you to be able to play as these characters. They thought that would be fun. It doesn't have anything to do with the main story. Um, It's just, Hey, what if you got to play as Rorschach and Night Owl for a hot second? It's like, sure. But it's like, there's no sprint buttons. And literally both games are just go to the next room, beat up three or four guys, go to the next room, beat up three or four guys. And like, the 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 motions are clunky and it's just look thank god this whole experience was only about like five hours to beat and i it, it was just one of those that like i started it and so i was just like i don't know maybe it gets good and it just doesn't and i'm kind of a completionist so i had already if i invest more than like an hour or two in a video game i'm just gonna beat it especially when it's only five so but it's just I remember it being a really lackluster game when i played it i don't think i even finished it and that's weird yeah. for me because i two was like a completionist and like achievement hunter person i was like i just don't care 
Yeah, I think I'll put this down. <laughs> you can still get them on disc um, for Xbox 360 and PS3. They were originally released as arcade ones, but you can buy them on disc for um, like the the complete experience. And they're just it's just not worth your time. And even like I picked it up because I was like, oh, shoot. Like, I remember it came out and it's got mid reviews, but like there's a lot of games from this era that have mid reviews that are actually really cool. You know, like that Captain America game and um, Watchmen is just not. So, um, not worth your five hours. Um, especially because like, because it's one of those like delisted, but was arcade originally, like it's not the cheapest to get your hands on. Like, I think the copy that I got was like $35 and it was supposed to come like with, uh, as on PlayStation three, it was supposed to come with the Blu-ray and uh, of the Blu-ray director's cut of the game and that, but like where I bought it from, there was no Blu-ray in it. So like 30, $35 to get it. And then like, it's definitely not worth your money and your time. So um, don't worry. I played it so you don't have to. Whew. Well, that's a wrap. Uh, remember, you can check out Joe on Instagram. I'll have his handle in the episode description below. And you can follow me on Twitter or Letterboxd at Schweitcastle. Quick reminder that Sif Pop Writers Room is part of the Studio DNA Network. You can check out other great shows at studiodna.media or by searching Studio DNA in your podcast player. If you're interested in writing for sifpop.com or you want to get in contact with uh, the show, send us a question to explore during the B-plot, then email writersroom at sifpop.com, DM the Sif Pop Twitter, or c- contact me on Twitter. Please don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify if you're listening over there. Uh, schedule coming up for the next couple weeks. Um, you can expect um, in the next couple days to have our Oscars 2022 uh, a year in review. So Alice Shane and I um, already got it done. And um, we talk about the Oscars uh, awards given out last year and decide and with one year in hindsight, did the Oscars get it right or did the Academy get it right? And um, let's just say there are some surprising results um, that we had. So uh, I'm excited for you guys to hear our conversation about that next week. Um, uh, Sam, Jason and I will be talking about Kubo in the two strings as well as Shin Godzilla um, because it is Oscars weekend and there's lots of things going around. My hope is still to have that episode up on Wednesday as normal, but if it doesn't come out until Thursday or Friday, um, I guess don't be surprised. I, like I said, I'll do my best. Um, but I need to find time to watch those two movies and to get around to um, uh, record, finding a recording time with them, as well as traveling to and from Springfield, Missouri to hang out at the Sposkers. So, um, yeah, so hopefully I can get that out by Wednesday, but whatever. Either way, it'll be the next episode that drops in your podcast feed after the Oscars review. In two weeks, Robert Luke uh, will join me to talk about the color purple for our goats episodes. And next month, Joe and I will be talking about Ghost in the Shell. We'll be talking about the original anime as well as the Scarlett Johansson live action version. Uh, I'm really excited for that because um, this is super respected anime. And um, I'm, I'm stoked for about half of it. But like, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So we'll be talking about both those next month. And um, uh, yeah, so there's your your brief overview. Uh, thanks, for Joe, for hanging out. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, no worries. As no, always. Always a pleasure always fun cool well we will see you next month to talk about the ghost in the shell movies and uh viewers hopefully we'll see you in a day or two to check out that oscars in review we'll see you then bye